How y'all doing? You look good. You sound good. Um, speaking of looking good, like that, like that, right? So we gotta have a we gotta have a heart to heart church. Um, we, if you're new with us, we're so glad you're here. But if you've been around, you know that we committed collectively to supporting our local team, the Carolina Panthers, and they are they are winless on this season. And sometimes. Sometimes you got to make a statement. Sometimes you got to invest. Like one of the guys a few weeks ago, he said, what's wrong with our Panthers? I was like, well, how long you got? And then he said, well, I haven't watched any of the games. I'm like, That's what's wrong with the Panthers, right? They don't have our support. All right, my wife tells me this, I'm superstitious, but it matters where you sit during a game. Those traditions, those rituals, they, they affect the outcome. What we think is going to happen affects the outcome. So I just decided I got I to gotta do something. So I decided... Two weeks ago when we lost, I'm not shaving till the Panthers win a game. That's a better response than first service. And what I'd like, men of Relentless, I'd like for you to not shave till Panthers win a game. Who's with me? And because we don't want to, we want to be women. Who's with me? You don't shave either. Right? It's getting cold this week, so, you know, you can not shave. Just everybody be together. So um, I got permission from my wife because she's got to look at me every day. And she said, yeah, but you got to shave your neck because you look, you look tired when you don't shave your neck. So, okay, I shaved my neck. So we agreed. And then this week, this was a while back, this week she came and she said, David, are you sure? She said, because what if, what if, like, if they don't win this season, like, are you going to wait till next? Play? I'm not shaving until they win a game. I said, it's that kind of thinking that got us 0-6, <laughs> right? We can't, we can't, no, it has to be a regular season game. We're not shaving, or we may be me, but that's, that's the story. That's the story on that. Now, to more important things, um, Galatians, we believe God's taking us together collectively on a journey. If you haven't been with us, that's fine. You're going to jump on board today. We're going to get into chapter four. It was supposed to be a real simple idea, right? We're going to do a chapter a week. We're reading it. We're talking about it in small groups. We're preaching it. And we're so blessed to have, um, I'm so blessed to have a staff that can preach. So I preached week one and then Joy preached chapter two. And then Raph was supposed to preach chapter three and he made it like three verses in, right? And then he just left it, right? Um, which is fine. I'm kind of going to do the same thing today because there's so much in chapter four. One, I don't understand it all, so I'm not, and, and I just want to sit on some stuff, but I got to go back. I got to go back to chapter three uh, because there's some big stuff at the end of that that'll set up chapter four. So he's talking, I'm going to give you two uh, inconvenient, maybe uncomfortable truths that are going to be on the screen here in a second. All right, at the end of chapter three, Paul's saying that, that you're a prisoner, by being a human, that you're a prisoner of sin. Right? So that's the first uncomfortable statement. You can be enslaved in bondage and not even know it. I think it's going to be on the screen. My son will get off Instagram. There we go. Um, sorry. Um, you can be enslaved. You can be in bondage and not even realize it. Right? So that's, that's illogical, right? Nobody's in bondage <clears throat> and doesn't know it. But spiritually, you cannot be aware. You could be here today with us. And not even realize that you're enslaved to something. And the specific of what you're enslaved to is what the scripture refers to as the law. So think of the law like this. You ever had a professor or teacher that just, they get some sort of, I don't know, they get, they get, they enjoy nobody being able to pass a test. 
So they'll, they'll give you the information. They tell you what's going to be on the test half the time. I try to tell my kids, like, they tell you that study guide, pretty important. But then they'll put something on the test that they never even talked about, that nobody knows. And the reason is because they feel like they're not a good teacher if you ace the test, right? So it's kind of cruel. They put something on there that you, there's no way you could know it. And then you may still get an A, but you didn't get a perfect score. They don't want no perfect scores. Well, that's a little bit like what we, what we call the law, right? It's this, it's this standard of holiness. And some people put God in that bucket of he's kind of a mean teacher. He's made this, and it's not, it's not so you won't pass. He wants you to pass. The reason he's so strict on it is because he's holy. He can't be anything but holy. So he calls us to holiness in his, in his holiness, and we can't pass the holiness test. None of us can. That's why we're so much love in the room. That's why there's so much freedom in the room because there's nobody that came for the first time today. Oh, man, they're the perfect one. We're all in the same boat. We all can't pass the test. So why do we even have a test then? If he knows we're going to fail it, why do we even have to take it? Why do we have to come to church in 23 and be reminded that none of us measure up? right? And Galatians tells us that. We'll pick up in verse 23 of Galatians 3. Before, But before faith came, we were kept in custody under the law, being confined for the faith that was destined to be revealed. Therefore, the law has become our guardian. Why? Why the law? To lead us to Christ so that we may be justified, made right by faith. The law served a purpose in bringing us and letting us know we, had, we needed something or somebody, and his name is Jesus. The law leads us to Jesus, and we can be justified, made right before God by our faith. Next verse. Now that faith has come through Jesus, we are no longer under a guardian. We're no longer under this rule and this law. So let me explain it to you this way. Um, I've got um, two seniors in high school, and they're becoming adults. And here's part of adult world that kind of hit me by surprise. When I first started to take my girlfriend, now wife, out on dates, I'm not talking like Bojangles. I'm talking about sit-down order kind of dates. And I, back then, we used this thing. Uh, young people, stay with me. We used this stuff, the green stuff. is called cash. And you would, it's like paper, and you would just hand it. Yeah, you would hand it to the, and it would count it as money. So I, I'd done the, the math in my head of like, okay, we can go sit down at this restaurant, entree, eight ninety nine, eight ninety nine. All right, if we both drink water, like I'm good. And then I get the bill, and it's nineteen oh four, and I'm good. I got a twenty, and I didn't understand. Oh, you're supposed to tip, right? And today, like it's insane. I'm surprised the greeters at the door aren't asking for tips. Like everybody. <laughs> Tip here if you like, right? We don't do that. We should do that on our giving, on our website. Tip here if you want. Um, I thought about having a tip jar up here today, but that would be a little, that'd be a little um, not cool. So tipping, how, how do you look at that? Like, I hope we're good tippers. When I worked in the restaurant industry many moons ago, nobody wanted the Sunday afternoon shifts because the church crowd is known to not be the nicest or the best tippers. We should, if Jesus is true, we should be the best tippers, right? So, um, and how do we tip? Most of us tip based on how, what kind of service we get, right? So you wait till the end because then you know, was my drink refilled? Did they bring me what I ordered? You know, did they say anything offensive? If they took care of me, then I'm going to, you know, and if you, if you don't know, young people, and you're on that date, it's 15% is kind of standard, right? So you can't, you can't even date yourself for 20 bucks these days, right? Things are out of control. There's no, there's no such thing as an entree. For $8.99, you get a biscuit, maybe, right? But you got to factor in 15%. And some people tip more, and a real generous with 20 25%. Some people, they punish the server if the, if the food wasn't cooked right. And as a server, I just want to remind you, they didn't cook the food, right? You're punishing the server for the cook's mess up, right? So instead of downing that tip, 
ask the server, hey, what does the chef drive? And then go do something to his vehicle. <laughs> it's a much more logical way instead of, instead of taking money away from the server. That's, that didn't come from Jesus. Um, so here, here's how I want to, I'm going back to the gospel and the law with tipping. All right, I used to love and study and just be intrigued with mafia stuff. Um, and that's, that's old days. But there's, there's a guy, Pastor Brickle. Uh, he's not in the mafia. Uh, Philip Brickle, he, I call him Pastor B. He's one of our partners. He leads Lost Sheep Ministry. If you go downtown, you'll see him ministering uh, to the homeless a lot. And uh, he's been such a good brother to me. He, he, the, the love of Jesus flows through him um, since my stroke. And he's also been in a fight with cancer since my stroke, and he's doing really well. So we finally got a chance to sit down at uh, Backyard Bistro. That's one of the places he always wants to go because he knows the guy there. And uh, we're sitting there talking, and it's great. And I, and I say... Like, I just want to get with you. You've been such an encouragement to me. But one of the things I wanted to do is I wanted to buy you lunch. I said, but it's the end of the meal. Do they not bring checks here? And this was so Godfather. She looked at me. He said, they don't bring checks to me. <laughs> I was like, all right. All right, Pastor B. They don't bring checks to me. All right. But here's what he does. At the beginning, every time I've ever eaten with him, he calls the server over at the very beginning. Come here. Come here. He pulls out a 20. And he gives. He said, I don't believe in tipping. See, I'm not tipping based on the kind of service I get. I'm, I'm giving you money out of appreciation for who you are and what you're going to do, but I'm not doing it as a, as a, you know, as a proof or as a, I'm going to give it to you in advance before you do anything for me. Isn't that beautiful? That's the gospel. All right, now does that mean you need to go, if you go to eat after this? I hope you don't go to eat after this. I hope you're out here in the parking lot with us trunk or treating. Um, does that mean you're supposed to give money at the front end? No. That's, I just think it's a beautiful picture. It helps me understand the gospel versus the law. The law is, let's see how you did at the end of life. You know how many people that you love think that's what life is? They think you get to the end, and then God kind of counts up, and he tips or blesses or sends you somewhere based on how good you did. That's the law. That's what Jesus came to complete, fulfill, and change. And we live under this gospel of grace that you were given the gift on the front end while we were still sinners christ died for us now what kind of service do you think pastor brickle gets he gets incredible service right because it's already that, that's the power of grace when it's given not because of performance it frees you up and that's the whole point of the book of galatians now that all leads to who we are verse 26 for you are all sons and daughters of god through faith in christ jesus I told you there's two uncomfortable statements. The first is you could be in bondage to the law, to performance, and not even realize it. Here's the second. Um, all humans are not children of God. Oh, I didn't know if I wanted to put that on the screen because that's offensive, right? You hear that everywhere. And when people say that, they're well-meaning, right? It's, I'm, not, I'm not mad at them. It's just, it cheapens the gospel a little bit because the gospel just said that the, all your sons and daughters of God through faith in Christ Jesus. It's not just your humanity makes you a child of God. Um, it's actually your, your adoption comes through faith. Here's what's true, though. All humans are image bearers of God, right? You might not be a child of God by birth, but you're, you do bear the image of God. So all of God's children everywhere, no matter what, well, no matter what they believe, are bear the image. That's where our dignity comes from. This, we, we're image bearers of God. But we as children of God, we need to know how that happens. Here's how John says it, John 1. says, Jesus came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed or trusted in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent or human decision or husband's will, but they're born of God. That's how you become a child of God, by trusting in his name. 
Verse 27, trust is followed by baptism. Going back to Galatians 3. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. Right? So we've, we're planning one more baptism Sunday in 2023. We'd like to have one sometime into November, early December. If that's something God's talking to you about, what does that mean? It is a, it is a all-in-ness. It is a in-Christness. It is a, a declaration that you put your trust in what Jesus did on the cross. On the cross, he was buried. He rose again and changed everything for all time. We, we get in water, and we're buried with Christ, connected, and we're clothed. It says we're clothed in, in Christ. What that means, think about that. If you're clothed in Christ, if you're in Christ, this blows my mind. It means God looks at you right now in this moment, and he sees Jesus. Right? As God loves Jesus, God loves you because he sees you wrapped in Christ. So you're clothed in Christ. It's from that place that we get this very famous verse, verse 28, Galatians 3. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you're Abraham's descendants, heirs according to promise. So me as a Gentile, I have no Jewish blood in my family tree as far as I know. I'm a descendant of Abraham according to Scripture. Um, and, and Paul he, he hits three things. It's crazy that he said these three things from 2,000 years ago. And in 2023, we still rank people and categorize people based on these three things. Race, class or status, slave or free, gender, male or female, right? And he's saying there's not that. Now, this has been one of the most abused and twisted scriptures, right? People, I've, I've heard people that, that maybe aren't big fans of the multi-ethnic church, and they're probably a little bit maybe embarrassed or insecure because usually... Their church is lily, lily, bright white, right? And they'll say stuff like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because there's not Jew or Greek. The gospel, there is no race. We're all just Christians. It doesn't matter, right? And that's not the context of, of this verse. And I've heard, I've heard people say, you know, you know you're, you're a Christian first, so check your race at the door, right? Don't bring your blackness in here. Just bring your Jesus in here. Here's the problem with that. Who made you black? Jesus. Right? So it's his creation. He doesn't want us to check any of that at the door. This isn't talking about checking anything at the door. This, the, the, the context is super important. The context is justification before. It's your standing before God, what he sees when he looks at you. And in that way, the best way I can describe it is uh, any, anybody shamelessly love Disney World? You, like, you'll, you actually, like, say that publicly? Wow. Um, so there's some people, maybe you're, maybe you're one, there's some people that they feel like, man, the lodging, the travel, the tickets to the park, the parking, the food, I just, I just need to spend more money. I want to spend some, so here's what I'm going to do, I'm going to spend more money so I can get the fast pass, right, and they've changed the name of it, now it's called something else. Genie Plus, oh, you do know. All right, All right. so Genie Plus, you can spend an extra $4 million on the Genie Plus, and what does that mean? It means... You get to walk by all the common people that are just waiting in line all day. You get to go to the front line. You get to jump in front of the line, right? So the fast pass, we understand that, even if you haven't been to Disney World. You understand. What Paul is saying, what God is saying to us is as far as you're standing with God and who can get close to God, your gender, your status, your race, your language, your ethnicity, where you came from, who you are, it does not help you in any way, shape, or form. There's no, oh, you come up here to the front of the line. You're a genie plus, right? There's none of that based on race, gender, or class. It does not help you. Not only does it not help you, it doesn't hinder you. 
It's not a factor. Male, female doesn't affect your closeness with God. Slave, free, status, success, gender, male, female, it does not affect your ability to come to God. Can I get an amen on that? Multi-ethnic church? I hope so. Now, um, a lot of the context of this really matters because it's talking about the most important question. So many people come to Relentless the first time, and what they really want to know in their heart, how do I get saved? How do I, how do I know for sure that when my life ends that I'm with God? That's what people really want to know, and that's what Paul's speaking to. And there's a, there's a verse I'm not going to put on the screen later in chapter 4 where he's shaking his head, and he's like, I don't even know if my ministry to y'all was worth anything. I might, it might have been all in vain because, he says, you guys are observing days and months and years and seasons, right? What's wrong with observing the seasons? What he's talking about is the Jewish calendar. So what happened, just this Galatian church, Jewish Gentiles come together. The Jewish people are very uh, committed to their calendar and these feasts and festivals and holidays. And they were saying, Gentiles, come on in, but you've got to become Jewish. You've got to celebrate all of our holidays because that affects how God sees you. There's nothing wrong with celebrating the days. The problem with Paul was saying was, you're celebrating these days thinking it gets you closer to God. And he's like, that's not the gospel. Now, there's really not a great 2023 analogy to all those festivals, but the best I can come up with is this thing called Lent. All right, uh-oh. We talk about Lent? I don't know your backgrounds. But Lent is a man-made thing. It's man-made. You won't find it in your Bible. And that's, it's not a bad thing. It's just man-made. But there are people, maybe in this room, I don't know, that have been taught that if you put this stuff on your head and you, with, you don't eat something, for, like, that you'll be better standing with God, that God's like, oh, that's front of the line, fast pass to Lent people, right? So what are you telling me, Pastor? you tell me that Lent is optional? Yes, absolutely. Lent is optional. And you can do it, and that's great. But don't think by doing that that it gains you something in your standing with God. Your standing comes from faith, period. Now we can go to chapter 4. All right, I like this service. Now I say, as long as the heir is a child, he does not differ at all from a slave. Although he is owner of everything, but he is under guardians and manage, managers until the date set by the father. Now, we've talked about slavery a lot and the difference in the context of what they're saying. But what he's saying is there's this, uh, uh, two kids. One's a slave, one's an heir. One's going to inherit a ton of great things. And, and, and he says they're actually the same when they're young. Because this, this heir, this kid, he doesn't do what he wants to do because he's under the, the, the guardianship of his mom and dad. And, and really, he doesn't have that much more freedom than the slave kid because they're both like not able to do what they want. He says, verse 3, So we too, when we were children, were held in bondage under the elementary principles of the world. So he's talking about when we were spiritually immature, when we were kids in the faith, we didn't know. We were held in bondage. And this is an interesting phrase, under the elementary principles of the world. What's that talking about? It's really important to understand. Some translators would say the best thing we could do in English would say the ABCs of the world, meaning the basic principles, culture that our world is built on across generations and, and, and decades and centuries. There is a commonality in the principle of the world that's found more in the law. The, the commonality is best summed up in performance. Right? The basic principles of if you do, if you achieve, um, like what, 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 do we, what do we categorize people on? How, what's the best way to succeed in, in life in our culture? You know, if you achieve, if you perform, if you look good according to somebody, those are all things help you climb the ladder. That's the elementary. And he's saying 
we're in bondage to it because we, we bring that into our spiritual life. We want to climb the ladder. We want to be good in God's eyes, and we can't ever be good enough because God's holy. He's not impressed by our goodness in any way. So if, if there's a target, some of you are so goal-driven, and God gave you that's not a bad thing, but if the goal is holiness, and that's a pass-fail test, either you're holy or you're not, and if you're not holy, then you're not holy at all. If you're goal-driven, that's, that's bondage. I will never achieve the goal. On my best day, I'm not holy. And that's, that's, the, that's the system that they were stuck in before Jesus. Now, again, performance and achievement, performance and achievement is not bad. Those are, those are godly things to perform well and achieve, right? Don't, don't try to be the worst employee at work because of this message, right? But the problem comes is when we bring performance and achievement into the church, when we bring it into our relationship with God and think that what, what works in the world will work with God, that's problematic. So we were under these principles of the world. Verse 4, when the fullness of the time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, comma. We'll come back to that. But I want to focus on this phrase, the fullness of time, because it's going to encourage you today. Right? What it's saying is God didn't wake up and say, hey, I think this is the day I'm going to send Jesus. It was planned. It was at the perfect time. He wasn't early. He wasn't late. Jesus came uh, to earth as a baby at the exact perfect time in God's plan and God's timing. And he's that specific. So we've got to carry that forward to our day and to our lives. If God's timing was perfect when, when he sent Jesus, which is the most important thing ever, is his timing perfect in your life, in your family, in your... If his timing is perfect, then it's perfect across the board. I want that to encourage some of you. And I see God's timing as perfect, but I only see it as perfect in hindsight. It's when I look back. I say, oh, God did know what he was doing. Let me give you an example. Um, my wife and I married in 1997 and started. I thought we were going to start having kids in 2000. I just thought it would be cool. I'd never have to remember how old they were. This would be the year. Um, and, and we came uh, we, did, we realized we were struggling with what was called infertility. I didn't even know what that was. So we couldn't get pregnant. We're told we'd never get pregnant. And through that journey, just hard, um, you know, kept waiting to see if we're pregnant. We're not. We're not. And then we, we felt led and excited. I've told you that whole story before about adoption. Um, it felt like God led us to that. So we signed the papers. And in, in hindsight, I don't know what I was thinking. I think I was thinking, well, this is what God's called us to. We'll sign papers. There's a bunch of kids out there that need parents. And maybe next week we'll get the call. Right? And we didn't get the call the next week or the next week or the next month or the next month, month. It became a year plus. And I'm sitting there thinking, God, are you sleeping on me? You ever, you ever said that to God? I, you can say, he can hear it. He knows what you're thinking. You might as well say it. Like, God, all I did was, was follow what I thought you wanted me to do. Where are you at? That's, that's where I was. And then eventually, finally, you know, we, we got a call um, that, that, used, that, that led to um, our adoption of Jackson and then a few months later, adoption of Mia, our daughter. Now, if, if that week when I wanted God to, like, come on, come through, the week after, if we'd have gotten two babies just like that, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if you're ever ready, but God knew what he was doing with timing for, for us, and God has, has blessed us. And that's, that's not faith. I'm not up here testifying about my faith. I'm up here testifying. Testimony is you're on the stand saying this is what God did. There's no faith required. There's so many beautiful testimonies in this room right now. That's not faith. Faith is, I'm going to have a testimony. I just don't know when and how and what. 
It's, it's taking what God did and bringing it into this current season. I don't know what, but I know his timing is perfect. It's a trust. And here's what performance looks like. Here's what we ask when we're, when we're stuck in the slavery. We ask when things aren't going well, we're not getting, we ask, what did I do wrong? That's the wrong question, right? That's such a human thing. God's not doing what I think he should do. He's not doing it in the time frame I think he should do it. What did I do wrong? That's offensive to the gospel, right? Don't assume you did something wrong because God's timing is different than yours. Aren't you glad God's timing is different than yours since he knows what you don't know and sees what you don't see? 75%, I think, 75% of relentless testimonies. That's a random number, but that's my best guess. 75% of your stories of how did you really come to actually believe that Jesus is real and know that it's worth following him with your life? Three out of four at Relentless, that story is packed around or built on some sort of struggle. Now, one out of four, which you, we, we love you too. If your story is life's been really good, God's been good, and that's, that's your story, like that's awesome. But three out of four of the people around you that follow Jesus, a lot of the stories at our church, and I don't think we're different in this, Man, the, the time I really came to come close to God and know he was real and no doubt about it is when I was walking through some really hard stuff. So if God's going to meet us, and he does over and over again, then we've got we to gotta remember that when we're walking through some valleys, that his timing is perfect, and he's probably going to build our faith in the valley when it's so tempting you know, to question our faith. Faith is trusting him when there is zero evidence that you should. That's the powerful faith, right? When, when there's nothing on paper, why do you believe God's going to come through in this job situation, this relational situation? When there's no, there's no actual evidence that God is working, that's when faith means the most. And God rewards that faith, but he rewards it in his way and in his timing. And some of you come to me like I'm you know, in on some meetings with God. Like, hey, so when is God going to answer this? I don't know. I'm trying to figure out my own stuff. I don't know. I don't know what he's doing with you, but I know he's working, right? And I know his timing is perfect. So that was a long comma. He was, God sent his son, verse 5, why? So that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoptions as sons and daughters. Now, some of your Bibles will translate that just as sons. Some of them include the daughters. I, I went with the sons and daughters translation because we know that he doesn't just adopt males. How do we know? Back up a few verses. There is no male or female ranking as far as God in standing. So we know this includes all of his kids, sons and daughters. And we like to uh, define the gospel here. We'd say it's the incredible news of our rescue and adoption by God through Jesus. That comes, go back to that verse. Um, it comes right there. Redeeming and rescuing are, are, are friends. Redeeming is when you buy something back, you redeem it. God bought us through Jesus and his blood. He purchased us with his blood. He redeemed us or he rescued us. The gospel will never make sense until you understand that you need rescue. If you think, if you're living on performance, I'm doing the best I can, you can always find somebody who's worse than you, right? So as long as it's about being good, that you don't really understand the gospel because you don't realize that, you know, good isn't going to get you anywhere. Only perfect can get you anywhere. And if you're not perfect, you're hopeless, right? So you had to be bought. You had to be rescued from the hopelessness of sin and death. And Jesus came to redeem us, to rescue us, and to adopt us. And here, here's this crazy powerful next verse. Because you are sons, 
because you've been adopted, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Abba is this intimate Aramaic word that just would, would be what a little kid would call dad. In English, somebody would say the best word would be daddy. It, Abba, Father. We can't translate Abba. People don't want to put daddy in the Bible. It's like, you can't call God daddy. People are offended by that, right? And part of that offense comes from reverence, which is good, but part of it comes from this wrong view of God, right? We call him Father because that's what he asked us and told us to call him. Here, here's, here's how I'll illustrate this. God, God is so good in how he gives me stuff to tell y'all. We were at our small group studying Galatians on Tuesday night at the Bowman's place. And um, I know how old, I can't remember everybody's kids and their ages. I know how old uh, Sensabella, their daughter, is because she was the first baby born at Relentless Church. So we started in September 2014. She was born in October. So her birthday is sometime this week, next week. So she was getting ready or just turned nine. So nine-year-old girl, she comes up and she's doing nine-year-old girl stuff. And um, me and Michael are talking and I'm not really paying attention. And she's kind of, Michael's here, I'm here. Sensabella's facing us. Like her back would be to you. And then all of a sudden she goes, trust fall. And, and I can't do it because I bust my head and falls back. And I was like, man, you're quick. And then we kept talking and then she got up. She just did it again. Trust fall. And I was like, Sensabella, what are you doing? Like your head's only so hard. Like how did, how did you know? Like we were talking, like how did you know he was going to catch you? And nine-year-olds is going to preach to us today. She looked at me and she's like, he's my daddy. Thank you, Lord. I'll preach that. So we go on talking, and I'm thinking about, yeah, that's, she never, that never crossed her mind. We just sang. He will never fail. You guys sounded better than that, right? No, he won't. <laughs> it was never in her. Y'all, some of y'all are laughing too hard. It never crossed her mind that she wouldn't be caught. So we're going back to our conversation. She was facing him. Then she faces me, trustful. And I'm like, I'm, I'm, my hands are I'm like, Girl, I had a stroke. What are you doing? <laughs> I'm not as quick as it is. So, so I, I was like, I was like, Sensabella, how do you know I was even paying attention? She's like, because I know you. Right? You're not going to trust somebody you don't know. So let's, let's bring this into your specific life because I know a lot. I don't know anywhere near at all of what's happening in lives, struggles, row to row, left to right, front to back. So what is it in your life right now that God would want you just to turn around and Trust fall, he'll catch me. Sometimes that step is just saying out loud to God, I trust you with blank. And you're just naming it. I'm going to trust you with this. Sometimes, more often, it's an action step. I don't know what it is for you. You've got to figure that out with God. Sometimes it, to trust God like a child trusts the Father in this time of life, that's what this would look like. A lot of times you know what that looks like. You know in your soul what he's calling you to do. And obedience to that is huge. So we can cry out to him, Abba, Father, as Jesus did. Why? Because he sent the spirit of his son, Jesus. He sent it. You know what that means? This is, this is revolutionary. You know what that means? That means, the best way I understand it, when I cry out to God, Abba, Father, through the spirit of Jesus that lives in me, God is up in heaven, and he's like, yes, Jesus. Oh, I'm sorry, David. Not because he confuses me with Jesus, not because I'm as holy or any of that like Jesus, but because he hears the spirit of Jesus in me crying out to him. When you cry out to God through the spirit of Jesus, he hears Jesus. Is that crazy? 
the Son of God that God sent his, the spirit of his son into us that we cry out to God and we're heard like Jesus is heard. And we have the standing with God that Jesus did. Why? We can't pass the test because Jesus passed the test for us. When you put your faith on him, you get the score. You get the holiness. You get the righteousness that Jesus accomplished for us. That's the gospel. And it's super important because so many of you have friends that we're praying one day sitting in this room hearing the gospel. And their heart is, I could never be a Christian. I just can't do it. And, and their heart is, I don't want to fail at something else. I've already failed at relationships. I've already failed financially, academically, athletically. I don't need to add another thing because I would fail. I would be a horrible Christian. I can't do it. And, and they, they don't come to church and they don't walk with Jesus and they don't want to know anymore because they've already convinced themselves, oh, I could never do that. And we've got to get the message out with our mouths and with our lives. You can't do it. We can't either. The, we have a secret weapon that was never supposed to be a secret. It is the spirit of Jesus, the actual spirit of Jesus that God sent into our hearts because he adopted us. It says, because you're my kids. This is what I do for my kids. I want God as a father. I want my kids to be close to me. You can't be close to me on your own effort because you're going to blow it over and over again. You have no chance. I love you so much. I'm not just going to rescue and adopt you. I'm also going to put the spirit of my son in you. Now we can be tight. Now we can have a real relationship. There's some people maybe in this room, I don't know, you're trying to have a relationship with God without knowledge of the spirit. And the spirit is the bridge. The spirit is the enabler. It is the power of Jesus that allows you. Yes, you're going to fail. We're all going to fail on our own strength. Christianity is impossible, no chance on our own strength. And that's actually very freeing. We're all going to blow it unless we learn. And we'll do a lot on this next week. So it's an important message of what it looks like just nitty-gritty living by the Spirit in our daily lives. If you don't know that, then this is huge. Your life's never going to be the same. I, I feel for people, it's, it's like trying to, trying to pass a test without knowing the language that the test is in. It's, it's, it's no... It's no chance. So all those people that are in our lives that think, yeah, I could never do it, we need to tell them, yeah, we could never do it either. You got somebody in your life that you look up to spiritually? I hope so. I hope you got somebody that you're like, man, they just seem to be somewhere that I'm not as far as with Jesus. Like, that's a good thing to have. Let me do a little magic trick. I can tell you two things about this person that I don't even know who it is. I can tell you two, two things about them that I'm sure of. One, they have issues. Never met them. They got some issues. You're like, no, 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 not my guy. My guy, he's like, he's never, like, no, there is no never. He's a human. He's had issues. More likely, he has issues. He has struggles. That's part of it. So some, maybe it doesn't, maybe you're not aware of them. They struggle. We all do. The second thing I'm sure about that person, right, is that they have learned on some level to depend on the spirit of Jesus. If they're, if they're a spiritual mentor or spiritual hero of yours, I guarantee you they've learned to live, what we'll talk about next week, live by the Spirit. It's an amazing life. And here's verse 7 of chapter 4, Galatians. It says, therefore, because of being adopted, you're not a slave. You're a, you're a child. You're a son. And if you're a son, you're also an heir through God. An heir. We don't use that word as much, but we know what inheritance means, right? Some of you have been in the room. Like there's some really funny commercials when they read the will you know, and, and who gets what. Um, but it's, it's saying you're not a stepson. It's saying you're a full rights son or daughter of God. And as Jesus inherited 
everything he got when he went to heaven, we got the same inheritance. It's not Jesus and all the other kids. It's God's got a lot of kids. It's they all get a full inheritance, which is everything. There's another life and another world where we receive everything that is available to God. It's a pretty good deal, right? And I know what some of you are thinking. It's what I was thinking at times in my life. Okay, if I'm going to get, I'm going to inherit everything eventually, I'd like, can I get a little advance? Can I get a little taste of that here? Right, if I'm going to inherit all that, if, I'm, if you look at me as your son, God, can I, get, can I get an advance, maybe a little down payment, just a little taste? All right, and thankfully, God said yes. In Ephesians, it says it this way, chapter 1. The Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance. Isn't that crazy? Until the redemption of the possession to the praise of his glory. And, and some it can uh, it translate down payment as either installment or deposit. What's the point? The point is, some people think, believe in blind faith. God doesn't. God never said, hey, I sent Jesus. I love you so much. It's real. He knows your name. He knows how many hairs are on your head. He knows it all. It's, it's all real. Just trust me, and one day it'll prove to be true. That's not what God says. He says, yes, trust me by faith. You'll be justified by faith. But I'm not asking you to believe it blindly. I'm going to give you a deposit so you're not walking through this life wondering, is this real? Does this all mean anything? Is there purpose? I'm going to give you a down payment of everything that's coming. What is it? It is the Holy Spirit. As you live by the Spirit, it's really hard to doubt God. He's so real. He's so clear and obvious when we let him be. We'll talk again more about that next week. It says another verse in Corinthians. It says, now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose, which the purpose is it's talking about is death. We're made to not live in these bodies forever because we're going to live forever in our new bodies. This God who has given us the Spirit as a what? As a what? You can talk in church. It's a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. God says, I don't want you to walk through this life faithless. I'm going to give you the spirit of Jesus. And every time you experience communication through and love and direction and whatever through the spirit, that's a deposit to remind you. That's just a little bit of the inheritance you have to come. That should excite us. So why did Jesus come? The gospel is built on verses 5 and 6 of Galatians 4. So that he might redeem those who were under the law. That he might receive that we might receive adoption. You, some of you didn't know you were adopted till today as sons and daughters. Because you are sons and daughters, God has sent the spirit of Jesus into our hearts, crying out the same way Jesus cried to Abba, Father, we can approach God. And some of you just, let's be honest as we close, some of you just don't believe that, right? If there's a door over here and we believe God's behind it and we watch Jesus walk into those doors, some of you would like, well, I could never approach God like Jesus does. Like, I'm a you know, right? And in the scripture, the gospel teaches we approach the throne of grace with confidence. How can you approach a holy God with confidence? Through the spirit of Jesus. His perfection is on you. That's the gospel. That's the beautiful story of the gospel. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to go trunk or treat. Father, thank you for that truth. I pray that it would never get old or stale in this place or anywhere else that God, we just thank you for your goodness, that you would give us the gift not because we deserved it or not because we earned it or lived up to it, that you, would, that you would free us from performance, that you would free us from appearance, that you would grant us the most amazing gift when we were still far from you. And God, I just pray you would increase the faith in this place, that we would trust you. Maybe for some would, for the first time, trust you with our life and our life plan. And for others, God, that we would trust you with specific things, that we could see ourselves 
like that nine-year-old girl, what it looks like just to turn our back, and we have no idea how this is going to go, and just to fall into your arms and trust that you're good and that you're our Father. Just give us faith, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, pray in people. Pray in church. Um, if you ever start clapping them, I'm talking, like drown me out with your claps. That's beautiful. Um, if you're a praying church, you need to pray this week. It's a big weekend for our women, our IF conference on Saturday, so pray that up. And then pray, um, pray and be careful. If you're not staying for Chunk or Treat, just be careful out here in the parking lot with kids and everything. And if you are, we'll see you out there in a little bit. And uh, we probably shouldn't have done that. We should have done this last week, but it wouldn't have been Halloween because Panthers are playing. But we'll figure it out. All right, we'll, we'll multitask. All right, see you all next week.